0: church be both inclusive, make room for people, and distinctive. And just recognizing that these things are kind of intention, that these are two ideas that are really important about the church. In the New Testament, we see that the the church is radically inclusive, right? Everybody gets to play is a, a phrase that we throw around in the vineyard, and it's something that we really believe. But at the same time, the church is also a city on a hill and a light, and all these things. And so those ideas tend to kind of, by design, I think, be in a constant state of tension. And so uh, we're going to try and answer, like, well, how do we live in that tension this morning? Uh, And to do that, I'm going to really need God's help. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures, uh, and we need God to speak to us through those. And so if you would, uh, I'll just pray, and we'll jump right in. So Lord, uh, I just thank you that um, you welcome me and you call me right where I'm at uh, even where, where I'm at is often a mess, and I'm often, I'm often in, a, in a, a deep state of need with you, uh, much, like a, much like a baby needs its mom, uh, I'm, I'm that way with you. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we could experience you as a loving father, as a loving parent, and that we could grow closer to you and experience your joy this morning. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today we want to kind of look at three models of church. And the first model is probably not the best model. The first model is this idea of a set. Now, some of you know that I spent uh, a little bit of time as a math teacher. Uh, this last year, I was working as a math teacher over at Parkview High School, teaching algebra to some students there, um, And this idea of set theory, you might remember this from your math class, is this idea of how do you count what's in the group and what's out of the group and what what a group looks like, how do you group things together and how many items in a set and outside of a set, what's included, not included. And this kind of language and thinking about this really matters when we talk about a Christian community, like who is part of the church and who is not part of the church. Uh, We want to focus on that part less, but but this idea of set theory is really useful to kind of try to wrap our minds around um, how, do we, how do we be a community? How do we include things? And so one idea of church that has been tried uh, and, and one idea that we find out in the world uh, in lots of places, places like a university, places like a city square, places like a bus depot or a bar, uh, is this idea of a fuzzy set. And the, the fuzzy set, the way the fuzzy set works is the only rule is there are no rules is sort of just like whoever's there is part of the group. It's like whoever's at, at that bar is at that bar, right? But if you wanted to call the bar a community, well, that may or may not be true depending on which bar you visit and depending on how well the people know each other, uh, you know, because everybody's kind of just going their own direction, right? Everybody's just sort of kind of doing their own thing. Everybody's sort of just doing whatever seems right to them uh, and they kind of happen to be doing it at the same place. now. Before I'm too negative on this, you know, we all we do kind of make some some room for this. And and if we look at this the strengths of this uh, model, uh, you know, there are some strengths to this model. There are some strengths to this idea. You know, it's really easy to walk into a place with that has no expectations of you, right? That has no, uh, you know, that you don't have to change, you don't have to grow, you don't have to commit to anything or do anything. You can just be. A part of the crowd, be a part of the group while you're there. And we actually intentionally create some space like this in the life of our church, particularly with Art Walk, I think is a really good example. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to come to Art Walk. You don't have to be a part of this church to come to Art Walk. In fact, we're trying to make sure that lots of people, we're trying to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and welcome because you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up. And if you show up and you're here, then you're part of the group, you're part of the crowd, you're part of the party. And isn't that fun? And isn't that good? And there's, it's good to have some space like that and to feel comfortable inhabiting spaces like that. This is where people mix and mingle, and that's not a bad thing. There's some good in that idea of everybody can kind of just hang out and be together, and, uh, and there are no requirements, and there are no rules, really. It's just hanging out. Of course, the weaknesses uh, are significant for a model of church that is completely based on this idea. Uh, you know the problem with a fuzzy set is that it, con- it tends to be chaotic and unstable, uh, and so while it is usually comfortable, while it is usually easy to be part of a fuzzy set group, you know this can lead to a lot of anxiety. A lot of people experience social anxiety at parties because they think, "I don't know, I don't know what is expected of me. I don't know where to stand. I don't know how to make small talk. I don't know how to make myself feel comfortable in this crowd." A lot of people experience that, and so it can feel Unsure, Will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? What are the rules? How do I engage with this thing? Uh, You know, the internet is a really great example of a fuzzy set, right? Lots of people are saying lots of things, doing all kinds of things, have all kinds of ideas, and they're kind of talking past each other sometimes, and at any given moment, it can explode into an argument, uh, into just like a really nasty interaction between people, and that tends to be true of most fuzzy sets because there's not really anything tying us together. We just happen to be at the same place at the same time. And, uh, you know, that's the thing about a fuzzy set is that, well, it's not really a model for community because there's nothing to unify this set of people. And in a way, a fuzzy set is really kind of not really a thing, right? Like it's not... It's just, it's not exactly evil, it's just sort of nothing, right? Like, what do you stand for? Well, nothing. Th- that's the end of the story, right? There's not really any depth beyond that. It's just sort of a thing that you could call it a phenomenon, but it's not exactly a thing. It's not a static thing. Well, perhaps in reaction to this or, or in opposition to this idea of this sort of chaotic, amorphous, fuzzy set, idea of a community that isn't really a church. And let, let's just be honest, that there are churches like this, right? There are communities uh, that orient themselves around, well, we're not, we don't have rules, right? We don't, it's whatever you want to do, just, you know, just kind of be a good person, right? Just believe whatever you want to believe. Like, there, there are churches like that. You can go and find a, a religious community like that but it's not the kind of community that we want to be because we don't think that that actually honors God or, uh, or is orthodox or really is a thing. Like, that's just people hanging out. It's not exactly church, as we understand it. Well, perhaps in reaction to that fuzzy set, and you could maybe say that fuzzy set is also a reaction to this other model, you could, you could think of a church as a bounded set. You could think of, you know, we have some boundaries. And the focus here with a boundary. Oh, well, actually, first, I want to read a couple of scriptures that say why we shouldn't be the fuzzy set. I'm sorry, I'm off my notes. So we, we can't do this. We can't settle for this because in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus says this. He says, in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, he says that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot and you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus tells his disciples to be like, and in the letter from uh, the Second Timothy, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, kind of encouraging this this young pastor to uh, to to do a good job and being a pastor, he says this. He says, "In the presence of God, uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and in His kingdom, I give you this charge: preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke." And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, I don't think that that is a word just for pastors. In, in, in the vineyard, we really land hard on this idea that everybody gets to play. And so we would say that's a word not only for leaders of Christian communities, but for Christians, for Christians. That's a word for people who are trying to follow Jesus. Keep your head and do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word in season and out of season. So we have to stand for things. We have to not just tell people what they want to hear. And let me just say this: you know that there's a there's a sense in which uh, Paul, you know, I, I've always kind of heard this this verse that you know um, the time will come. Right? Uh, people have applied that to kind of this apocalyptic lens, this idea of like there's a time coming in the future when people won't put up with sound doctrine. Uh, but I think really what's what the way we should interpret that is uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, in your job as a pastor, you will experience a time when people don't want to put up with sound doctrine. You will, will like, and, and so then by extension, priesthood of all believers, you will experience a time when people around you don't want to listen to the truth. When it's easier to believe a myth. When it's easier to believe something untrue. And let me just say, if we do think about it apocalyptically, if we do think about it as like a time in the future, man, we have never lived in a time where that is easier than right now, right? Because, because of the, the massive amount of information, at any given moment, I can reach into my phone and I can find somebody who will tell me what my itching ears want to hear. I can find somebody, I can find a group of people where I will find affirmation and support for whatever thing that I want to be about, whatever thing I want to believe in, it has never been easier to surround myself with people who will support me in confirmation bias and not challenge me to examine what I believe and not challenge me to question, do I actually know the truth, but, but who will just say, oh, no, you're right, and everyone who disagrees with you is wrong. And everyone who disagrees with you is bad and they're the enemy and they're evil and it's n- been, it it's never been easier, I think, in human history to live in an echo chamber uh, that is really self-oriented and self-directed. And that's actually kind of a lonely place to live when we really think about it. Well, the, uh, kind of maybe a, an opposition to this or a, a, an alternative to this is a bounded set model of church. And so a bounded set model of church has some real strengths. You know, one of the strengths that a bounded set does have is it offers clarity to a confused world. And we say, hey, we believe these things are true, right? So we could say, like, you know, the Nicene Creed we believe in one God, we believe the Father, you know, creator of heaven and earth. Like, we can say, we believe these things. Or we practice these things. These are the things that we do. So that, that, that circle, that red circle, that could be beliefs, that could be, uh, that could be practices, you know, I don't, uh, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't whatever, Um, you know, we could, we could have boundaries that are based on all kinds of things. Now, it's important to recognize that, you know, boundaries, boundaries are a part of life, like they do exist. Whether we like them, whether they're good or bad, whether they're drawn, in a righteous way or an unrighteous way, they're, they're part of life. They, they're there, right? Like, I'm a man. I'm in the bounded set of men. If you're not a man, you're not in that boundary. Like, I'm, I'm, also, uh, I'm also over five feet tall, right? So we could get a little more specific. And we could say, I, I'm also, I have a college degree. Uh, I live in Springfield, Missouri. And I, I could define and define and find until cl- that boundary gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it only includes me. And, uh, you know, the the other thing that we find with bounded sets is that's actually kind of a strength of bounded sets is that you actually have some unity within those boundaries, whatever boundaries those are. And so in church context, we would say, like, look, we all believe the same thing. We all believe these things about Jesus that we think are true, and we're saying this is what... and, and And so we're in that philosophy. We're in that way of thinking about the world, and so we can experience... Unity and actual community within those boundaries—that's not a bad thing. That's actually a strength. That's a that's a feature, not a bug, of this model of church. And most of the church, uh, in America at least, has embraced some kind of uh, an expression of this. And that's that's actually kind of biblical when we really think about it. So, like for instance, there are a couple examples of the way that church functions that embrace this idea of bounded set thinking one of them is a key element uh, of our worship and our practice and it's baptism okay and so baptism is kind of really a a bounded set way of thinking about things when you're baptized into the church you're baptized in to Christ you're saying I want to be in Jesus I want to leave my old life and cling to Jesus and be about him and so if you look in Romans six. It says this, uh, it has some things to say about baptism. We're just going to look at a few of these verses. It says, What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul's talking about this idea of grace, and he says, No, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised through through the glory of the father we too may live a new life we die to our old life and we are raised to new life we're leaving one way of life and coming in to a new way of life we're we're crossing a boundary from death into life we are leaving the world and embracing christ it says further in uh, And following verses later on in Romans. It says this, it says, uh, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. There's a fundamental shift. There's a change in coming out of the world and into Christ that we celebrate at the moment of baptism. When people are baptized into Christ, we're saying we're leaving our old life, we're stepping into a new life. There's a boundary there. And that's not a bad boundary, it's a good boundary. It's a boundary that gives life and gives us hope beyond death in the world. And it's a, it's a boundary that is supposed to change our behavior and our thoughts and our attitudes. We're saying when we get baptized, when we decide to follow Jesus, we are leaving, we are renouncing sin and the world and the devil. Okay? And so we want to be a community where people can practice world leading. We want to be a people who are different, who fundamentally have a distinct and unique orientation that runs counter to whatever human culture we came from, whatever family culture, whatever country culture, whatever city culture, whatever. Like, we want to be people who are changed and who are in Christ. That's not bad. Another way that uh, boundaries appear in the church and that are, that are, I think, actually really meaningful and actually good is this idea of uh, what, what it takes to be a leader, what it, what it takes to be a person who is an example to a community of faith. And so in 2 Timothy in chapter four, um, oops, not 2 Timothy chapter four, it's the other one. 1 Timothy chapter three is what we're looking at. It says this, it says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever does, aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, that word overseer, if you could get, just back up one slide, uh, and that word overseer, that often gets translated bishop, um, and that, that is kind of one way to think about it, but that word didn't have the same ecclesiastical meaning as it did in this passage, right? He's saying this is, a, this is a person who is a leader in the church. This is somebody who has oversight over some aspect of the church, so like a small group leader or maybe a worship leader or someone who is leading a team, or someone who has some sense of authority, who calls the shots and says, hey, do it this way, Uh, that person who desires to be an overseer in the church, that person desires a noble task. It is not an easy thing to do, to lead people in following Jesus. On the next verse, it says this. It says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Another translation says a husband of but one wife, because in that time in Macedonia, polygamy was actually quite prevalent. The sexual practices of the culture surrounding the church were very different from those outside the church. That didn't prevent people who were in polygamous marriages from coming into Christian community and making the decision to follow Jesus, but the standard remains for a leader to be a person who does not practice marriage or sex that way. uh, That person needs to be an example to the community. And so that person must be faithful to their spouse. That person has to be the husband of but one wife. Of course, in the vineyard, we're egalitarian. We understand that women can lead in any capacity. I'll defend that another Sunday. Uh, So just read this with, you know, kind of maybe editing for inclusive language when it regards gender. But now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so maybe when we start really looking at these boundaries, we start looking at this... List of requirements for a person who's leading in the church. Maybe you are experiencing, if, if you're anything like me, a little bit of conviction. Like, a little bit of, like, oh man, am I, do I meet those qualifications? Am I, like, am I really, you know, a good dad? Am I really a good husband? Do I have these things figured out? Do I, man, maybe I love money a little too much. Maybe I'm just a little bit selfish with my, am I, and, uh, and, you know, I don't, think that all, I don't think that questioning is all bad. I don't think it's wrong to ask God those questions and to say, Lord, is there something you want to say to me? Is there something you want to teach me here? That's good and healthy. That's good and healthy for all people. But we start to understand how that could get twisted and how that could be harmful and maybe counterproductive to producing leaders when we just look at the boundaries, when we just look at the list, when we just say this set of behaviors, this set of beliefs, you either do these things or you don't, while that can be a useful exercise to examine our hearts, we can start to see the weaknesses of a bounded set model. Because in order for a boundary to exist and there to be inclusion, the the antithesis of that is also true, that we're saying we're excluding some people. We're saying if you don't meet these criteria, then you don't get to be part of the group. If you don't do the things that leaders do, then you don't get to be in the leadership circle. If you don't do the things, if you aren't believing the things that Christians believe, then you're not in the Christian circle. You are not. You haven't crossed that boundary. And so what has historically been a tragedy of the church and every other organization, and especially organized religion, the organized religion of Jesus' day and continuing in any organized religion, is that you have division, and you have stratification, and you have... Uh, you have, if you focus on these boundaries, if you, f- if you make the boundaries the most important thing, then it's really easy for people to just feel bad, to feel excluded, for there to be divisions and fighting and insecurity among each other, uh, and for a lot of negative things. Most of the negative things that we associate with religion and religious experience and practice have to do with a misapplication of these boundaries. And so I don't know if you picked up on it, but one thing that is kind of interesting about this take on uh, bounded set in that visual representation is that everybody inside the circle is white, and then everybody outside the circle is black. And that has definitely been a problematic and sinful and evil thing that has been a part of American history and, by extension, church history in America, we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to draw dividing lines and put stumbling blocks in front of people coming to faith, and particularly, we don't want to embrace uh, the boundaries of our culture, we want to have the boundaries that Jesus sets. We want to have the boundaries that God has put in place. And to bring something in, to bring, to bring American culture into the church is quite dangerous and even harmful and sinful to people if we aren't careful and if we don't sort out what that looks like. If we don't uh, discern what God calls us to and what the boundaries actually are. But I will say this too. You know, I think another thing that happens with bounded set that's problematic for church is that it also leads to stagnation, that there is a sense in which if you know that you're in, it's really easy to get lazy, right? It's, I've, I've crossed the line, I've I'm baptized, I'm, I, I arrived, I'm there. I think I find this probably most often, I probably deal with this temptation most often in my marriage, right? You know, like, I'm committed, I'm in. I'm done. We, we've made it. We've arrived. We love each other. We're there. Okay? But as I've discovered, just as baptism and marriage and baptism, there are kind of some there are kind of some similarities here, right? There's there's the, the ceremony that begins your life together. But then you have then you have to walk that life out, right? You have to you have to keep growing, you have to keep changing, you have to keep coming together, you have to keep being individual people right you have to kind of work on yourself so that you have something to give to that other person so that you have something to offer them if you don't have a strong sense of self and if you aren't a healthy person you're not going to have a healthy marriage and so you know just understanding that it can be easy for that for that experience of i've crossed the boundary and i'm in sometimes that can lead to being lazy if we look back again at that verse from from uh, from Second Timothy before, that uh, that says you know for a time that the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What else is the Democratic Party and the Republican Party? What could you not find a more accurate description of what those things are? Because what those things are is they say, okay, you're with us. You're with our team. You're on the red team or you're on the blue team. And if you're in the red team, then you know that everyone on the blue team is terrible and evil and they want to kill babies and they're just awful and they're the worst. Or if you're on the blue team, then you know those Republicans, those evil Republicans, those are the people that are causing all the problems in our country. And if we could just get rid of those people and get those people out of power, then we would... And honestly, it becomes the same kind of, you have all the problems of the fuzzy set within the boundaries of that bounded set. Where everybody's just kind of, well, you know, there's no standards, no rules, and as long as you're in here, then it can be whatever. Just as long as you're not that wicked person over there. As long as you're with us, then you're cool, even if you're a jerk. Or even if you totally lack integrity, which... Both parties completely lack integrity because the only reason they exist is to grab power. And the only reason, the reason why there is no consistent philosophy that makes sense in either party is they're they're a coalition of people who are trying to get power. That's all a political party is. And so we cannot adopt the value system of either of those political parties and bring that into the church and baptize that and say that belongs to God. No, we have to vigilantly guard our hearts and minds against the philosophies and the power structures and the systems of the world and reject that to leave that to die to that and to be completely and wholeheartedly committed to jesus christ who is our only lord and savior to be part of his government and to pledge allegiance to him above every other identity and allegiance And so there's actually another way. There's actually another model of church that I actually think helps us do that and helps us uh, hopefully avoid some of the weaknesses of the bounded set and the fuzzy set way of thinking and ways of thinking about community. And that idea is centered set. Now, I do want to offer some disclaimers here. There are some weaknesses to this model of centered set. But first, let me kind of explain just what I mean by centered set in case some of us aren't familiar with that. Centered set, the way that centered set works is you say everyone is included in the set based on what their center is, based on where are they going. So rather than looking at what are you or what have you done, centered set asks the question, what direction are you headed? And the thing that unites us, the thing that gives us direction as a community, is where are you going? What are you moving towards? Not where are you or where have you been, not did you come to Christ as a Republican or did you come to Christ as a Democrat? Did you come to Christ divorced or abandoned or hurt or abused or whatever? But where are you going? What is your direction? What's your heading? Are you moving towards Jesus or are you moving further away? And the weaknesses of this model is that, well, it can easily, in practice, slide into and sort of there's a sort of gravity that pulls it towards either the bounded set way of thinking or the fuzzy set way of thinking. It can be really easy because we're not focused on boundaries to just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in progress, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to move that way, but I can, I can get comfortable and I can live in a place of stagnation where I'm not really obeying God under the under the kind of false pretenses, oh, I'm got, you know, I'm kind of taking step, some steps that way. You know, I'm gonna I'm thinking about tithing. I'm thinking about learning how to pray for other people. You know, I'm kind of you know I I'm open to the idea, but I just haven't made my mind up yet. Like it can kind of become a fuzzy set thing in practice, and so that is a weakness. It can also become uh, it can also have many of the weaknesses of bounded set thinking because really there there is a boundary. We're just drawing the boundary not based on where you are but on what direction you're headed. Where are you going? Are you moving towards Christ or out? And people still feel that, right? They still feel the disapproval of a bad decision, and they feel like they're being excluded. They feel like they're not welcome or they're not loved because they're making a choice that someone else doesn't agree with. And then we can also talk about how, you know, the fact that you don't agree with it doesn't mean that it's wrong, right? We, we, there's all kinds of ways that we can think about, right? And so, and so it is difficult to maintain the balance. It is difficult to actually do this thing because it has built-in tension. There's tension built into this model of church, because people who are wildly far away—you can see that guy up in the, the way left, or maybe it's a lady. I can't. It's hard to tell. Uh, way up on the left, they're way outside, right? If we were to draw the circle of what is orthodox practice and belief around the cross in the middle of that picture. That person way far out, they're probably outside of faith. Whereas the person that's kind of maybe just a little up and to the right of the cross there, they're really close, but their trajectory's off, right? And so they're 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 really close to Jesus and they're within Orthodoxy right now, but they're not heading the right way. They're not moving in the right direction, they're not following the vision that God has called them to, or they're not following the vision of this church. And so they're they're on they're actually on their way out, even though they're still in. And some people who are out are on their way in, even though they're still out. And so that tension of understanding, how do we relate as a community? How do we encourage each other as a community to move towards Jesus from whatever place we're at? There's, there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some misunderstanding. There's going to be tension built into this model of church. But this is the model of church that we really try to practice here as a community and as the vineyard as a whole, as the movement of Vineyard Churches, we really try to embrace this centered set way of thinking where we make room for everyone to come towards Jesus. And we say, you're welcome, you're here, you belong, even before you believe, even while you have questions, even while you have doubts, even if you're struggling, even if you sinned. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I cussed. No, I'm talking about like, no, you really messed something up. You really did something wrong like a real sin, right? <laughs> Like, we make room for you. We want you. We want you to come, and we want you to be part of this community where you can struggle and where you can try to take one more step towards Jesus together with other people who are trying to do the same thing. And it's for this reason that I believe that the strengths outweigh the weaknesses of the centered set model and that's why we as a church try to be a centered set church if we look at some of the strengths of the system the way that i think that this is really good is that it really puts the focus on jesus right one of the strengths of this system if you can click the next slide the strength of the system is it really focuses on jesus and you know i i just want to say to you the good news this morning is that the gospel is not a set of rules and beliefs There are a set of rules and beliefs that accompany the gospel, but that is not really what the gospel is. The gospel is a person. That person is Jesus. And he loves you tremendously. He's willing to die so that you can be with him, so that you can know him, so you can know his love, so you can experience his healing and his restoration. There is no sin that you can commit. There's no decision that you can make that God will not continue to love you through, that God will not continue to embrace you and say, you are mine and you belong to me and I want you in my circle. That's who Jesus is and he loves you wherever you're at. And, and because of that, I think it's really hard to not love Jesus. And that's the strength of this system. You know, if, if I'm focused on what do you believe right now? Where are you at right now? and are you in my group or are you out of my group, then it's very easy for me to become defensive if somebody says anything critical of my group or my boundaries or what I believe is Orthodox Christianity. But if I just focus on Jesus, lots of people who don't adhere to what Orthodox Christianity is, they like Jesus because he's amazing. It's hard to not like Jesus. You've probably met a lot of people who don't like church but still really like Jesus because he's the best. He's exquisite. He's excellent in every way. And when we, when we approach church from a centered set model, we can really just focus on Jesus. And if we can encourage and bless and invite people to take maybe just one step closer to Jesus, maybe, maybe it's not all the way. Maybe it's not, I'm getting baptized today. Maybe it's not, I'm praying the prayer today. But if we can help people take one step closer to Jesus and we can kind of keep doing that over time, guess what? People decide that they want to cross that boundary. They want to get in and they want to commit their lives because of who he is. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's, He's worthy of our worship and adoration. Another strength of the system is that it avoids stagnation because it requires a growth mindset yeah, you crossed the boundary, you're in, you're part of the group, you're in the, you're in the club, whatever, but where are you at in relation to that center? There's always another step to take. There's always another place to grow. There's always some place where we haven't completely given everything over to him and where we need him to take lordship of our life in that area and say, God, I surrender, I surrender this part of my life to you now. I recognize that I haven't listened to you in this way, but I want, I want to change. I want to come to you. I want to grow. I want to continue to confess the ways I haven't loved my neighbor as myself by what I did and by what I just didn't do. I need you to, to include me and to change me. It has the strength of being inclusive and yet also distinctive. It doesn't lose its salt while it makes room for all kinds of people coming from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of a sin and experience and perspective, this model of church, I have found, at least for me, helps me move closer to God every day while still helping me stay soft and vulnerable and open and not religious about people who haven't experienced Jesus the way I have. I think we see this in the way that Jesus ministers to people, particular in, the, in Mark chapter 9 and verses 14 through 29. I think we see something like this idea of graceful acceptance while still encouraging people to grow and to change. When, the, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the, all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whether, whatever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when, they, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell onto the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown in him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can Jesus said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer, or in some translations it might say, but only by fasting and prayer, only by this lifestyle of practice. You, you've yet to walk the path long enough. You've yet to come close enough to the center. You've yet to em- embrace a practice of prayer and fasting in such a way that you have the sense of authority in which to speak to this demon. I, at least that's how I interpret that verse. That You can see that these disciples are very much in process. Right? They have come to Jesus, they're following Jesus, they're trying to do what Jesus is saying, and they are not succeeding at doing the stuff that Jesus does. They aren't good at it yet. They're very much in process. They're in a, a season of growth, and they're, they're learning how to cast out demons and to heal people and to do all the things that Jesus does. And Jesus still welcomes them. He still teaches them. He's, he's patiently moving them towards being able to walk in more authority. And we see the man who's bringing his son to Jesus, he's, not, he's still not there yet, right? He, doesn't, he kind of, believes, you know, if he can do something, you know, he kind of has this, he's sort of fudging on whether or not he trusts in Jesus' power and his ability to do something. And Jesus meets him with grace in that place and says, you know, out of care for him and his family, he doesn't want this boy's uh, torment to be a spectacle. He shuts that down and he takes care of that person. He says, "You know, he delivers him from that spiritual bondage." And this is what it means to be a disciple. This is this is what disciples are like. Disciples are students. We're here to learn. We have things that we don't know yet, and I think it's important to distinguish. This isn't a student in the sense of like a college student. Like, I'm auditing a few classes, kind of trying to decide my major, trying to figure some things out. No, this, is, this, is, this involves a level of commitment and discipline to be a disciple that kind of comes down to our identity. It's when we say, I am a person who is trying to learn how to do racial reconciliation and how to love people across differences. I'm a pastor who is trying to learn how to do cross-cultural ministry in an overwhelmingly white and historically racist town. And I'm struggling with how to do that. But I'm going to remain in a posture of learning so that I can learn as a person and so that our community can grow and becoming a welcoming, diverse place. I'm trying to learn how to be a person who heals people in the name of Jesus. I'm trying to be in a posture where I learn how to pray for the sick and how to do those things. I want to be a person who is learning how to be a good husband. I want to continue to develop my skills and communication and relating well to my wife i want to be a person who's learning how to be a good dad who's learning how to be a good son who's learning how to be a good person who's learning how to be like jesus i want to continue on this path and i think that paul really drives this idea home in this passage from his letter to the philippian church he says this he says i want to know christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is a, this is a life that takes a while to walk out. And I believe it actually continues to be walked out in eternity. I believe that we never stop growing closer to Jesus because there's always more of him to explore. There's more of his infinite goodness and grace and mercy and love and justice and holiness and righteousness and peace. All honor and glory and power and wisdom belong to him and we will never finish exploring it all. And that is a wonderful invitation to enjoy. It's good to start. It's good to make those commitments. It's good to recognize those passages and those boundaries and those times when we begin that journey, and that's right and good, and those are all good things, but we never stop learning and we never stop growing in Christ. And it is that good news that I hope we will continue to experience as we pray for each other and walk this path together, including everyone who wants to come along for the ride along the way. Would you stand?